Let's pray. I invite you to take a moment and quiet down and focus on God, whatever comes to mind. And God, we, uh, we lay ourselves, uh, our spirits, our hearts, our minds, our bodies before you now. And whatever we're carrying, whatever uh, challenges we're having in this time, we pray that you'd speak to them. That you would land on us with your love, your care, your wisdom, your understanding, um, and your hope, Lord. And we, we pray that you just like cover all of that with faith so that we can move through this time and recognize the things that you want to do that are important as we're in such strange um, spaces, some of us. And we pray for those who are really struggling right now. And we ask, Lord, that you would move, that you would give a, a sense of your presence and your walking with us through this. And we pray also for uh, some clarity on what we're to be about in this time for those of us who aren't sure as things have shifted, that we'd be really listening and seeking you for what you have for us in this time, uh, whether it's generosity towards our neighbors, making calls to those that we love, texting those that um, need a, a encouragement from you and to know that they're cared about. So we just pray for you to move in and through us and we thank you that uh, as the people of God that we are carriers of your peace that we're bearers of faith and generosity and grace in this time uh, may we be that in a powerful way with you uh, moving and speaking to us and initiating those um, conversations and assignments and times with folks around us and we hold this service before you we ask that you would speak to our hearts in Jesus' name, amen.
Morning, Blue Water. Thank you for joining us. Hey, a special shout out to those newcomers that we haven't met yet because of the current stay-at-home orders. We know that there are several of you that have joined us since we started meeting virtually. I have a friend who came to Palama once before we couldn't meet there anymore. He's still attending, and he invited a friend. And I know that friend, and maybe that other friend will invite another friend. It is a unique season we're in. We are grateful to experience an increased openness and readiness for people to seek our God. Just last week, Johanna and I were taking out the trash before we wanted to go on a walk. When we met someone on our street for the first time, the person introduced himself and the conversation got deep fast. He told us about a disappointing church experience which led him and his family to not being plugged in for several years and he expressed a strong desire to be in a faith community again. I got to share some of my testimony, confess some of my shortcomings as a Christian, and speak out our hope in Jesus. 
He had asked us to continue to pray for his family and we asked him if we could pray for him right then and there and he said yes. We blessed him to know that God was with him in his trials and asked God to restore what was broken. We invited Jesus' presence. If you're watching now, thank you for the conversation. We were certainly blessed by the time and we hope you were too. Yes. This is just one story of making space for others when God is moving in their heart. We know there are many, many more. Let's continue to be a community that takes time. If you're new, we'd love to keep connected with you during the week. Uh, if you could sign up for our weekly newsletter blast on bluewatermission.org, just uh, scroll to the bottom, enter your name and email address. Let's continue our worship with our offering. If you are new or visiting, Please do not feel obligated to give, but consider the service and our community our offering to you. You can give in two ways, online or with a check. Just mail the check to the office. All right, let's pray for our Keiki. Keiki, can you stand? And those around can uh, extend a hand of blessing toward them. Our Father, we thank you for our children and our families. Uh, we thank you for this time in which uh, they get to have extended time with each other. And we just bless their time with joy, um, with new creativity. Uh, and we bless specifically their time of rest and play. Yeah, we ask that um, the times will be meaningful and that um, for them to overcome any struggles together and to celebrate new memories with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. about a lady that helps people 
here. She's our connection to the outside world. Let me introduce you. Come with me. Man, thank God for good people. Yo. Thanks, brother. Thank you, Blue Water Church. Father God, we pray that your light would go forth, um, that your light would go forth through us. I ask for your spirit to descend upon us and to empower us that we might be your witnesses in the world, that we might remember things that Jesus has taught us, and that the scriptures would be open to our understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Clarity and passion. Am I right? Yes. Am I right? Yeah. So I hear it for clarity. Yeah. Clarity. Can I, can I hear it for passion? Yes. Yeah. Clarity and passion. Clear-mindedness and strong emotion working together. That's what that's what I'm talking about. I've been thinking about that a lot <clears throat> as. Uh, this global crisis unfolds. Uh, right now what's happening in the world with respect to the uh, coronavirus is that more and more leaders are trying to figure out how to emerge from the crisis lockdown that we have been under. Uh, some countries have already made the choice to open back up, send people back to work, to put kids back in school. They're wondering what that's gonna bring, another round of infections. Or, um, or perhaps not. Uh, no one really knows for sure. And uh, because there's a lot of uncertainty, there is, of course, a lot of recrimination. Uh, there's one uh, sort of political group that seems to have some interest in returning toward normal. There's another sort of political group that seems to have an interest in uh, trying hard to convince everyone everyone that things are more deadly than is popularly appreciated and only strong governing will save us. And of course, when things become politicized in uh, an arena of high emotion and urgency, well, clear-mindedness tends to like go out the window. You know, truth suffers as a result. I, I'm feeling that, wow, you know, what we really need is clear-headedness, a clear mind, facts, truth, as well as passion and compassion. We need to put our heart into the truth uh, and truth into our heart. Are you feeling me? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and in the midst of all of that, I noticed that the, the CDC released this week uh, its statistics on um, who it is exactly who is suffering most from this virus who finds it the, the most deadly. And as uh, it has been speculated and rumors, it turns out that if you are under 65 and you don't smoke and you are not obese, then the coronavirus is roughly as dangerous to you as, as a normal flu would be within a percentage point or two of, of, of death rate. Uh, the people who are suffering most from the virus are the elderly and people who have underlying conditions. If you are young, if you are healthy, if you are a kid, if you are a youth and you don't have some pre-existing health condition, then your chances of dying from the coronavirus are really, honestly, quite near zero. Um, and that's helpful information. It's unhelpful information. It's helpful information in the sense that I think it could inform policy. I think it could inform how we emerge from our lockdown. Um, but it's a dangerous piece of information in the sense that, well, maybe it tempts people to be careless and something terrible will happen. And it's just a good example of how clear-mindedness and strong-heartedness needs to work together. We need to be passionate. We need to become passionate, but we also need to be really clear-minded. And very few people pull off both things simultaneously. Uh, because fear is very emotional and um, truth is sometimes hard to get at. Um, if you are 80 
85, then your chance of dying from the virus if you get it is more like one in five, one in four. You're vulnerable, you're on the edge, you are at risk. So I think probably what's gonna happen is that we're gonna emerge from lockdown, but hopefully sensible people will come up with ways to protect the most vulnerable. We need to go forward in a way that kind of protects and insulate, insulates people who need to be protected and need to be insulated from this infection, from this pandemic, at least until such a time as treatments get radically better. Uh, we need to uh, figure out how to care for the people who most need the care. We need to figure out how to protect the people who most need the protection. Because a lot of people really aren't under that much threat. A lot of people are actually fairly secure. But there is a group of people uh, that we're going to have to figure out how to really care for as society opens up. And I think that's something to think about. It's going to have a little bit to do uh, with what the sermon topic is today. But first, a warm-up question, because right. I know that you need warming up. Yeah. Here it is. Who is the most important person in the church? Who is the most important person in the church? <laughs> you, Jordan. Yay, Jordan. Is it me? No. no. <laughs> is it Jesus? Oh. Well, Jesus is always a good answer. Is it maybe like, you know, the, the elders of the church, the pillars of the church, the people who carry the load? Maybe. Is it like, you know, the, the regular attenders, you know, the, the meat and potatoes, the people that really, you know, fill the church? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Yes. Let's, let's, let's throw that in. Is there another one? Another is, it, is it the guy who has just shown up at the church and hasn't contributed a dang thing yet? Yes. The seeker. Yes. The seeker. The seeker. The seeker. Uh, if you are a, a good blue water disciple, then you've probably learned by now that the most important person in the church is the person that has just walked in for the first time. Mm. Uh, and uh, that uh, is suggested to us by Jesus. He tells all of these parables. Like uh, the famous one is the parable of the lost sheep, right? It's like, uh, which among you, if you have a, if you have a, a flock of sheep, won't leave the 99 to go chase the one who has wandered off and it, who is in danger, who is vulnerable. We tend to prioritize the most urgent situation and the most urgent situation in that parable is the sheep that has gotten itself lost. You know? And Jesus concludes that parable by saying, uh, so too, there is more rejoicing in heaven from one sinner who has repented than 99 believers who have no need of, of repentance. That the attention, the energy, tends to go toward the person who is, well, most at risk, right? Who is not secure in the fold. He's got other parables uh, he tells that are similar, you know, like the parable of the lost coin. You have all these coins, you lose one, you drive yourself nuts trying to find the coin that you've lost. Maybe a modern analogy would be, I don't know, the car keys that you've lost or something. It drives you nuts. You turn, you turn the house upside down looking for them. And then Jesus says, when you find the coin, you throw a party, you invite your friends and you celebrate, which is a little over the top because you end up spending the coin to throw the party and you just found the coin. But anyway, his point is that, you know, it's, it's the loss. It's the at-risk uh, person that you uh, prioritize. When I've heard the lost sheep parable, and like, well, you leave 99 solid sheep to go chase the one who is at risk. And I've often thought to myself, well, that's a terrible way to run a church. Because if you neglect almost the entire congregation in order to prioritize one person who seems to be vulnerable and at risk, well, the congregation goes and finds another church <laughs> because they feel like you're not paying attention to them. I've often thought as well that it's a heck of a way to run a life because our lives are filled with people that we need to pay attention to. They're filled with concerns and situations that we need to care about. And if we neglect those situations in order to, I don't know, reach out to the lonely neighbor or to reach out to the person who is the most needy all the time, if we're constantly running to fires, if we're constantly running to crises, 
maybe we let our normal life and the substance of our living, um, maybe uh, we let that drift and bad things happen. Uh, so somehow we have to figure this out, you know, somehow you have to figure out how to be passionate and energized uh, about uh, the most vulnerable while still maintaining the rest of the house, uh, so to speak. Well, we are in a sermon series called Stuff Jesus Did. Uh, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew as the text of that sermon series. Today will be the end of the series. Uh, we're going to take a look at a passage from Matthew 21 that's actually a week before Easter. Last week we did the end of the Gospel of Matthew. This week we're finishing by going back several chapters. And we're take, taking a look at uh, a couple of days at the beginning of the week where Jesus enters Jerusalem. Um, not the triumphal entry itself, but what Jesus did after he entered Jerusalem and got a chance to look around. The story is about Jesus visiting the temple. He's entered the Jerusalem, he's entered the gates of Jerusalem amidst great fanfare. People have welcomed him. And as a good pilgrim and as a good spiritual leader, he is now visiting the great temple in Jerusalem. And it turns out that he doesn't like what he finds there. This is a story, picking it up in Matthew 21, verses 12 through 21. So, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. <clears throat> yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out to the city went out of the city to Bethany, or the suburbs, where he spent the night. Early in the morning, the next morning, he was on his way back to the city, and he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves, no fruit, just leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. He's speaking to trees now. And immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. It's a good bumper sticker. If you believe, you will receive. That's the story. Amen. Great story. So Jesus has been uh, cruising around the countryside probably for a few years. He's been doing lots of ministry, lots of miracles. He's coming out the last week of his earthly life. We know what happens at the end of that. This is the penultimate scene. He's made it to Jerusalem. He goes straight to the temple. He goes straight to church, man. He goes to the gathering place. This will be the Passover week. There'll be lots of people in the temple. There'll be lots going on. And what he encounters there uh, in the, the entrance courts, the exterior courts of the temple, uh, the, the temple leaders had set up a lot of conveniences for the attenders. Uh, money changers and they're selling doves, they're selling animals for sacrifice because people would buy the animals and then give the animals to a priest and the priest would kill them as a sacrifice. It was part of the ritual. 
uh, of the temple. You were not allowed to carry into the interior courts of the temple any sort of graven image, which means you couldn't use normal coins. You couldn't carry normal coins into the interior courts of the temple because they had usually the picture of a Roman emperor on it, the picture of somebody, and, and religious Jews considered that a graven image. So what they would do is that they would take your graven coins, your, your worldly coins, and, uh, and they would trade you. They'd take your coin and they would give you a temple coin which had no image on it, so it was clean. It was clean, and you could carry that coin into the temple and you could do your temple business with approved sorts of coins and you would be religiously clean the whole time. So it was basically a court filled with conveniences, things that made it easier for temple attenders to go through their worship services, their, their worship uh, activities. And Jesus walks in and encounters this and just goes ballistic. Uh, the story of Jesus uh, driving uh, the money changers and the sellers out of the temple courts is a story that's told in multiple Gospels. And the Matthew version of the story that we're reading today, I think, is actually the milder version of it. In John, it says that he made, Jesus made uh, whips out of cords and, and drove people with whips. He was really, really angry uh, when he saw what was going on in, in the temple courts. And you have to ask yourself, why? Well, he gives you some explanation uh, when he begins quoting scripture. Uh, he says, uh, it is written, uh, he quotes from Isaiah 56, my house shall be a house of prayer. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. The full line is, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations, for all peoples. Uh, but you are making it a den of robbers. You are making it uh, a place of, of uh, you know, commercialism and conveniences. Here's the scoop. Here's the story. According to the design of the temple, uh, which came from the commands of God himself, the exterior court of the temple, um, the outer court, was called uh, like the Gentiles court or the seekers court. Um, if you were not a Jewish person, but you were interested in the one true God, you had heard about the one true God, you could come to the temple to seek God. You could come to the temple to try to have a legitimate experience of the Lord. However, because you, know, you weren't um, a sanctified you know, Jew, officially a member of the, the people of God, you weren't allowed to the interior temple, but there was a place for you. There was this grand welcoming plaza for any seeker, any explorer, anyone who was interested to come and to check things out. So what has happened uh, over time is that the leaders of the temple have sort of squeezed out the seekers and instead populated that court with conveniences for the regular attenders. They made it easier for you know, the congregation, but harder for seekers. There was no place for the, a Gentile, for a non-Jewish person, for a foreigner, for a non-religious person to come and check out God. Uh, and Jesus sees this and he thinks, wow, this is exactly what wasn't supposed to happen. Right? The temple was supposed to be a place where anyone could come and find God. If you were already a believer, if you were already mature in your life with God, you would come to the temple and you would worship. Right? But if you were still checking things out, you would come to the temple and take it in and maybe seek, weigh, explore, listen, something like that. They have squeezed out the seekers. Um, Jesus finds the temple, and this upsets him mightily. Um, the point of having a temple was to give people a place to come to find God. It should be easy for anyone to find the presence of the Lord in the grounds of any church. We should all have seekers' courts. Um, and I think we should have them in our lives as well. No matter how much business is going on in your life, no matter how much um, the need for convenience and ease, should be a space that we have in life to welcome seekers, to draw them in, to gather in people who have never been there before in hopes of securing them into the flock of Christ. 
We all know that, but we need to have a designated space for it. We need to have some designated time for it, something set aside. Otherwise, our priority to gather seekers, to tend to the most at risk, the most vulnerable, tends to, tends to go away. Um, there's always pressure to put other things in that space in life. And uh, that's what is exemplified by the story in Matthew uh, 21. Jesus, for his part, you notice, uh, tends to the most vulnerable um, and uh, the seekers in this story, because no sooner does he drive the money changers and the animal sellers out of the courts, he receives um, uh, sick people, the lame come to him, he presumably heals them, the kids come to him, those who are not very you know, well-behaved, and Jesus, as usual, welcomes uh, the children. And then there's scene two in this story. Uh, <clears throat> early the next morning, Jesus has spent the night uh, at the home of some friends in Bethany. Uh, he gets up the next day, and they're headed back to Jerusalem. Um, headed back uh, to the temple. Uh, we see in other accounts. And I don't know, I'm thinking Jesus is in a little bit of a bad mood. He's probably hangry at this point because as he's walking down the road, he sees this fig tree and he thinks, ah, you know, I'm going to get me, I'm gonna get me some, some figs. Uh, we are told, though, uh, that uh, it wasn't the season uh, for fruit. There was nothing on the tree except leaves. I mean, you know, it was perhaps not the, not the tree's fault. Trees don't produce fruit. Most trees don't produce fruit all of the time, right? There's a season where the fruit comes in and there's a season where the tree lies fallow. So this is, uh, this is not the season uh, for fruit. It turns out Jesus goes to the tree and sees nothing except leaves. And then he says to it, may you never bear fruit again. So see, a little bit, a little bit hangry. Uh, and the tree withered, which was, you know, impressive. As Jesus' miracles go, this one seems a bit alarming. I mean, he's just sort of taking it out on this poor tree. And now it's his disciples' turn to freak out a little bit. Uh, and they were amazed, it says. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? Jesus, man, how did you do that? Which is an interesting question to me because they have seen Jesus do all sorts of things at this point in the story. They've seen Jesus, you know, heal twisted limbs and, and, and uh, bring people back from the dead and stuff like that. But it's like, wow, I've never seen you do the tree thing. How did you do that? <laughs> they say. I think they might be freaked out for other reasons as well because they have just seen their spiritual leader ransack the temple, which must have been, you know, a rather disturbing scene. It's not what they expected him to do. They expected him probably to be a bit glorified in the temple. Instead, he makes a, a mess of things, literally. Uh, and in cursing the fig tree, uh, Jesus is cursing the national symbol of Israel. The fig tree was very important to Israel even back then. It had great symbolic importance. It's a little bit like an American leader cursing a bald eagle. You know, it's like, well, it, you know, it's bad news for the bird, but there's also almost inexorably something symbolic to it. Uh, and so he's cursing the fig tree. They've seen him get mad at, at the center of Jewish life, the temple. So it, this is strange behavior for the Messiah. They expected him to lead the nation back to greatness. And instead, he seems to be taking it out on all of the big national symbols uh, in their nation. So they are understandably freaked out. How did you do this to the tree? You know, it's like, what's going on here? And Jesus answered them in, in what I think is characteristic fashion. I tell you the truth. You're all being very emotional. Let me, let me be clear-minded with you. Let me tell you truth in this moment of great crisis. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, as if they would want to do that, 
but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. In other words, if you have faith and not doubt, you can do whatever it is that you need to do in the moment. If you need to take it out on a tree, you can. If you need to move a whole mountain, you can. Uh, he's gone through that sort of moving a mountain analogy before in his teachings to them. But he, what he does is he calls them back to faith instead of doubt, which indicates that Jesus thinks they're probably in a place of doubt and fear and anxiety right then. And he said, even now, even though things are messy, faith is the key, guys. Faith uh, is the key. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. He says to them, have you ever had one of those seasons in life where it just seems like you should be excused from producing fruit, right? Because things are so busy or because there are so many crises, because situations are so intense, you know, that you've got all of these things flooding into your life. Maybe you feel like you're entitled to sort of fill up your outer courts. You know, you don't have to make space for seekers. You don't have to reach out to people. You don't have to tend to the most vulnerable because, I mean, you're just in one of those crisis seasons, right? And they happen in life. You're out of season. You're out of season. <clears throat> Jesus finds this tree out of season. He looks for fruit. All he sees is leaves and he gets really angry. There is no in-season. There is no out-of-season. If people are hungry, they need fruit. And it's as if Jesus is, is saying this, like particularly in the tough seasons, right? we should be producing fruit for all comers. You get the symbol? You get the analogy? This is like a parable in real life, this thing with the fig tree. We have to be an in-season and an out-of-season minister, Jesus seems to be telling us. No matter how crowded life gets, we can't crowd out the seekers and the explorers and the hungry, the lost sheep, the lost coins, however you want to think about it. They should always be a priority, if not the priority. We should always make space. We should always have designated time for it. Produce fruit always. Say in season, say out of season. In season. You guys are so pliable. I love it. Produce fruit always. <clears throat> Sometimes we are tempted to say, hey man, look, the world is crazy right now. The world is crazy right now. And I imagine that's what the Jews in Jerusalem were saying. It's like, we're trying to have Passover. Things are crazy. If you haven't noticed, we are occupied by the Romans. We have been invaded. Everybody is oppressed. Things are nuts right now. We're dealing with a virus right now. I mean, everything is shut down. We have to be closed off. We have to be really careful. This is not the time for ministry and for gathering in. And I think if Jesus walked among us, he would say, oh, no, no. Anytime I show up is the proper time for ministry. Anytime I show up is the proper time for fruit. Because when I show up, that's what I look for. When I show up, I look to see if your seeker's court is open. When I show up, I look to see if hungry people are being fed by the church. That's what he's saying. I care how crazy the world right now, when Jesus is among us, it's time for faith and not doubt. It's time for faith and not fear. Jesus is always intensely concerned with how we are welcoming seekers and tending to the most vulnerable. Somebody give me an amen. 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 And at the end of this very challenging teaching and this challenging time for Jesus and the disciples, Jesus says to the disciples what he always says to the disciples. He says, faith equals power. Faith equals power. I don't care, man. Your national symbols could be crumbling before your eyes. God could be freaking him out, freaking you guys out still. Don't doubt, faith equals power. Just believe. This is the time for more faith, not less faith. If you are confused about what God is doing in the world, 
Well, it's a time to really be clear-minded, to put your passion in service to the truth. And remember that we are people of faith, that we can do whatever it is that we need to do. If we need to tear something down, we can do that. If we need to move a mountain, we can do that. I mean, whatever the crisis is, whatever the situation is, it doesn't matter. Faith, not doubt, Jesus says. Move a mountain, curse a tree, ransack a public place, whatever you need to do, man. Jesus is among us. It's time for fruit. Choose faith instead of fear. You can do whatever it is that you need to do. That's what I take away from this story. How does that sound? Sounds good. I don't know uh, who the most important person in church is, uh, but the most urgent person in church is always the next one. Capital N, capital O, the next one. The most urgent person in your ministry life is always, right? I mean, the next person. Right? It's always the, the, the person at risk. Um, that comes into view. And in the midst of our busy and intense lives, we need to make space and to identify and empower the seekers around us, the people who are hungry around us. Who are you helping to get into church? Who are you helping to get into the kingdom of God? Do you have an answer for that? If you don't have an answer for it, then you better hope that Jesus doesn't wander into your life and start looking through your branches. You know, he, he, might, he might get upset, but for good reason, for heartfelt reasons, because there are people who need care. There are people who need shelter in the kingdom of God. You would leave 99 secure sheep to go chase one who was in trouble. That's the heart of God. It's the heart of God for us all, thankfully. Um, the next one, the person who is just walked into frame. That's the person that you want to notice in your life. Maybe the person who's been sitting there neglected for a while. Maybe that's the person whom you need to help find the Lord. You need to help get plugged in. Uh, the Lord has uh, dispersed the church right now. We actually are not gathering together in the temple. We're not gathering together um, in the sanctuary, we're not gathering together at Palama Settlement like we usually do. We're not even gathering together in Ohana groups physically. Everything that we do is online these days, so the church has been dispersed, which means that you all are carrying the church with you wherever you go. The church is a mobile entity, and it always has been from the very beginning. Uh, when the church goes out, it gets a bigger surface area. You know, the church is wherever you are, wherever you're gathering today, wherever uh, you're wandering uh, in this time of shutdown, uh, the church is there, exposed to people um, like a good sort of virus. There are people around you right now who are scared. There are people around you right now who are vulnerable, some who are especially vulnerable. There are people around you right now that are especially hungry, they're hungry for contact with humans. Uh, they're hungry for love, right? They're hungry for reassurance. I can guarantee you they are hungry for faith. The world is desperately hungry for faith right now. And you're there on the spot, bringing that fruit of faith wherever you go. Um, you have nourishment for everybody around you. So give them some fruit. Give them some fruit. If you don't feel like this is in season for you, if you feel like you have enough of your own troubles, I get it. I get it. But do it anyway. Do it anyway. Because the, the time for fruit is whenever people are hungry. Seems to be what God is saying here. Uh, in this season, um, I have met some of my neighbors for the first time. There's a guy who lives like three doors down from me. I've lived near him for 10 years. Just this past month, I've met him. Uh, and uh, because uh, Sony and I met him, some other people from church have met him. This elderly guy, they're bringing him uh, food. 
uh, trying to take care of him. I've been taking him on errands. Ten years I've lived next to this fellow, not met him. That's embarrassing. That's terrible. That's terrible. This is past month, things being as they are, I've gotten a chance to get to know him a little better, to serve him a little more easily, to get involved in his life. I think that's an example of an experience that probably many of us are having during this quarantine. Um, relationships change. Uh, doors open that aren't normally open. I've met other people on my street for uh, the first time ever um, just because I'm on my street more. Uh, and people notice each other, people, people notice one another more. Um, one of my uh, pet peeves uh, during normal times at Blue Water is that we have like a 9 a.m. service on Sunday and 80% of the congregation tools in at 9, 10, 9, 20. Have you guys ever heard me complain about that before? Anyone? Yeah. I get, a little, I get a little upset about that. And the reason I get upset about it is not because I'm an incredibly punctual person, but because all of the visitors come on time at Blue Water, right? Because they don't really know how church operates. They just know it starts at 9 a.m. Uh, so they show up early, and they're sitting there alone in the chairs for, some, for like 30 minutes sometimes. And I run around and I try to meet all of them and greet all of them, but it would be better if like the whole church were there welcoming them in, sort of being a seeker's court sort of thing. And it just, you know, I, I grind my teeth every Sunday when, you know, the bulk of, of our ministers, which is to say the bulk of our congregation, comes late and kind of ignores the early comers and, and the visitors. Well, good news, you don't have to show up at church on time, uh, not during this season, uh, because, you know, you... The church is, is wherever you are. You don't need to commute. We are coming to you. Uh, it changes the way that you can be present, that you can invite people in. We're trying to create content that you can share around, but the real content of the kingdom is the faith and love in your hearts. And you need to share it eagerly wherever you are at whatever time the clock says. This is the season for it. This is precisely uh, the season for it. Um, how do you gather people into the church right now? Well, I, I don't know exactly what it will mean for you, but I know that you will do it with faith and not fear. That you, as the light of faith, will shine brightly in the darkness. And you're just going to find opportunities. You know, if you are at all sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, I think God will highlight some of them for you. With a moment's reflection, he'll probably do that. Or you'll step out your door and you'll see one. Or you'll be driving somewhere and you'll think of one. Just be open to them because Jesus is walking among us during this hungry season. He will guide us. You might need to move a mountain. No big deal. You can do that as long as you have faith and not fear. You can probably find a way by being yourself You'll probably be powerful. Be yourself instead of some version of yourself that has been edited by doubt or anxiety. No, be your full self, your faith self. And just watch how people are attracted to you. They come flocking to you now, just like the sick came flocking to Jesus in the temple. The Spirit is in you. And so the light is upon you. Here's what we don't do, according to this story. We just don't look for conveniences. We don't look for ways to make things easy on ourselves right now. That's not what the, the outer courts are for. And we're all in the outer courts right now. That's not what they're for. They're not for convenience. They're for welcoming and interaction. I'm just so excited about this season in the world because I think the church is rising up to be the church in a special way. I think the hand of the Lord is upon us in a, in a special way. And I think we're going to create a whole bunch of interesting stories worth telling. And I don't even think we'll have to be very contrived about it. I don't think it will take a tremendous amount of ingenuity 
I think it will just take us being us. Blue water being blue water wherever you are. Just remember, don't let anything crowd it out. No matter what craziness you're dealing with. Be clear-headed, even though it's an emotional time. Truth and passion together. Be calm as well as passionate. Um, and I think we're almost certain to see fruitfulness, to see fertility. Are you with me? Yes. Can I get an amen? amen? Let's pray. Walk among us, uh, Jesus. Although it's a crazy time, we make space for you. I don't know, maybe it's easier to make space for you because it's a crazy time, uh, because we have been removed from our normal schedule. I pray, Lord, that you would fill the gaps, that our mission would fill the gaps instead of fear and anxiety filling the gaps. Let faith crowd out fear and not the other way around. We pray, Lord, that the church would be the church and that Christians would be Christians and that none of us uh, would forget. In Jesus' name, amen. We are certainly missing seeing each other's faces. So as a way to connect and share life, we would like you to snap a photo of you and yours that somehow perfectly captures what your life is like during this quarantine. If you're a sloppy bachelor, snap a picture and send it in. If your family is crowding you in, snap a picture and send it in. If you find yourself out and about taking a walk several times a day, snap a picture and send it in. If you're still working, send it in. If you're any suggestions out there? Creepy in the background. Creepy in the background. Send it in. Uh, we're open to the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll use your photo as a way that'll bring us all together. Email it to antonio at bluewatermission.org and we will use it starting next week. <laughs>